0: Hello and welcome to Downton Gabby, Life After Downton. Today we are discussing the hit film, Crazy Rich Asians, and then talking about some of our favorite ensemble movies. I'm Shannon in Oakland.
1: I'm Brandy in Los Angeles. And I'm Teresa in Brooklyn. Let's go. Everybody's clamoring for three white girls three weeks later (laughs) talking about (laughs) Crazy Rich Asians. Yes. Let's get to it. We are on the pulse of America. (laughs)
0: finally getting to it but honestly this was my most anticipated film of 2018 I've just been so excited ever since um I read the book and I know we all have read the entire series so it was just I was watching every trailer every Instagram ad because I just couldn't wait and honestly it didn't disappoint it was super fun
2: it was super fun I've, I've seen it twice how many times have you guys seen it
1: only once but the one time was a preview screening with the director in presence for okay so (laughs) i'm and i'm gonna see it again
0: and i saw it once and i had a cocktail
1: yeah that was the only problem with the preview screening is there's no booze at the theater we were at i was like oh god should have brought a flask yeah (laughs) Yeah. it really made this decision made this experience better
2: i saw um the weekend it opened in new york city at this ginormous theater and then I saw it again a week and a half later with my sister when I was up in Toronto um, in one of those recliner chair theaters Mm -hmm. which was also really excellent and um, I was the one that had given my sister the books
1: Mm -hmm. and
2: I just want to remind you all that I first picked up the book in your apartment Brandy oh over New
1: Year's And that was given to me by my friend Carly in Seattle. So, you know, it's just a chain. I feel like that's the thing with this book is, like, everybody has, like, it was recommended to them. They Mm -hmm. read it. Like, I know it was a massive bestseller, but I feel like it, all three books were already out when I finally picked them up. And it really was just because people were insisting, you know. There's so many books out there, like, it's very easy to miss stuff. But this one I felt like I couldn't miss. Everyone was telling me I had to read it. Totally. Totally.
2: Yeah, when I picked it up in your apartment, you were like, wait, you haven't read this book? What? <laughs> <laughs> and I think you made me sit down and read the first uh, chapter when the flashback scene in the hotel. Like, you oh. made me read it while I was sitting in your apartment. I'm so
1: glad they kept that, but I heard you were discussing this on a podcast, and they they seem to have interpreted it that she was always going to buy the hotel, and I was like, no, 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 that's what's yeah. so great about it, is she just could buy the hotel because someone was rude to her. Right, I don't think that totally came across. I
0: agree, like I was like so happy they kept it, but I was like, I don't think they got it that it was like her buying the hotel was a fuck you for disrespecting her.
1: (laughs) Right, yeah. Yeah. It wasn't just a case of mistaken identity. She did that to like on purpose (laughs) to fuck with them. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah. (laughs) Right, right. It wasn't like, oh, you're the new owner. We've been expecting you, but didn't expect you to be Chinese. So yeah, we're gonna be rude. exactly. I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, I think you know, there's a lot of stuff in the book that obviously did not translate over into the film. I mean, the book is is really, to me, a real satire, right? A social satire, and the film is a romantic comedy,
1: mm-hmm. and
2: it doesn't have the same bite that the book has. It's a it's a very different feel. I mean, I really enjoyed it, but I really think that they tonally they really shifted it into more romance than satire. Yeah. And
1: I think some of that is a function of it not being translatable. Like, I guess they could have like, Pop-up footnotes or something, you know. <laughs> I would actually watch if that was like a DVD extra, like the pop-up oh my video version of it. I would, I would totally, totally watch, watch that as
0: a DVD extra. That would be amazing because <laughs> that's but, one of the best parts of the book is the footnotes. They're so yeah,
1: they're funny. so funny. I mean, just laugh out loud, literally. Like I remember, I had I was reading the first one when I was on vacation with a bunch of friends, like out at like a mountain cabin. And I would be just, like, cackling in the corner. (laughs) People would like, what are you reading? I'm like, leave me alone. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, I do think the next book is not, you know, it's not as much the rom-com. It's more of the satire. So we might see some of that tone change in the next one.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've been really trying not to spoil what happens in book two when I talk to people about it. But that shit is bonkers. Like, they're (laughs) not even (laughs) going to believe you.
0: I mean, that's the thing. It's like... (laughs) You're, no one's gonna believe you but I do think you know there was a couple key characters that I was like that are really small in the first book but become really important in the second and yeah. third books and I was really nervous about their casting and they nailed it I think yeah. you know those are the characters I really I was
1: thinking about. about that a lot with the guy who played Eddie because I yep. really hope that they mm-hmm. do let him grow um, oh my or let gosh. his storyline continue the way it does in the books because it's so fucking funny mm-hmm.
0: um The third book is such his book.
1: (laughs) It is so fun. (laughs) And I wouldn't have thought from book one that I would want to spend that much time with him, but it totally works. Mm -hmm. Um, But I will say I'm a little worried about where they're going to go with Astrid. Uh, Uh.
0: I was really disappointed in Astrid. Um, When she came on screen, I whispered to my friend, I go, oh, this is my favorite character. And they chopped her storyline down to nothing.
2: Mm-hmm. and
0: which is shocking cuz she has one of the most developed arcs of the entire series um, yeah. really besides Rachel and we spend um,
1: almost as much time with her in the books i think
0: yeah, yeah yeah it's it's almost like a dual narrative and um really disappointed how much they chopped down on her storyline and then i also was disappointed in the actress i mean i think it's a tough line that it's like astrid is that typical cool girl she's mm-hmm. so cool but but she came across as cold and boring rather than cool and just, I don't
1: know. From- well, I was thinking about this and again, this is just where it's so hard to capture because in the novel, you see the way Astrid interacts with the world and you see people judging her, but then mm-hmm. you get to read so much of her personal correspondence, which like they right. can't replicate that. They can't replicate the emails that you get to read of hers and her like real voice that she uses when she's comfortable or when she's being more open with someone. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm very worried. And I also think, like, so much of her storyline in the books relies on the her marriage to Michael continuing. So mm-hmm. if they have them get divorced in the first movie, it's like, okay, now we're just going to have, what, like a like a very conventional love story for her in movie two? I don't know. I'm worried.
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the whole marriage with Michael, I mean, the the first book, uh, like Michael, Michael is not what he seems. And right. that's really important mm-hmm. uh, in in the story. And in this story, Michael seems to be exactly <laughs> what he seems. Right. right. Um, and the other thing about Astrid, um, is that I think in the movie, knowing nothing about her, you pretty much see her as this gorgeous woman with a lot of money, mm-hmm. basically. And in fact, Throughout the whole series, Astrid is this iconoclast. Astrid almost effortlessly pushes back at every ingrained sort of fashion or expectation mm-hmm. of of that set in... Singapore. And one thing that's always interesting in the book is how she's always wearing the most unexpected outfit. Yeah. Right. Like they,
1: they had the earring scene where she, and I love her personal jeweler in the books and Mm -hmm. all of that, but I feel like it came off totally differently because in the books, I don't remember if it's that exact piece of jewelry, but it's something similar where she wears it along with this dress where everyone can't like figure out what designer the dress is and eventually she just goes, Oh, I just picked this up at Zara. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. And like the juxtaposition of those two things is the really important thing, not one or the other on its own.
0: Right. Right. And I think, you know, another part that was really important in the book that I said I think says a lot about her character that I was really surprised they cut. Well, I guess because they cut that she's such a fashion icon, so it doesn't make sense. But the fact of what she wore to the wedding was a repeat Mm. because everyone was like, what is Astra going to wear? What's she going to wear? And she's like, she didn't want to upstage the bride. So she wore a repeat dress and that just speaks to like her integrity and like sweetness that I just feel
1: like didn't come
0: across at all.
1: Right. So I think they relied a lot on her being sort of the only one who was nice to Rachel and I understand why they thought that would work, because they really did have to reshape this as a story with Rachel as the one protagonist, as a rom-com where this was an ensemble around the rom-com. But it just, it really wasn't enough.
0: You know, I was really surprised that they didn't show how close her and Nick were. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. in the story, they're really like siblings almost, and Mm -hmm. they were hardly in scenes together. So I thought that was surprising as well.
2: Yeah. Oh well, we'll see. I mean, she's got a she's got a big, big storyline.
0: So <laughs> yeah, with the guy that should, that that did looks at her after
1: the credits, I was like, what? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, kind of important, guys. <laughs> I almost actually, missed it because I had like knocked over my water bottle, and my friend I was with had to like slap me on the arm and be like, "More is happening." And I looked up, <laughs> and I was like, "Charlie." <laughs> <laughs> I love Charlie. She hadn't read the books, so she had no idea what I was talking about. And I was just like, I swear this whole thing is better in the book. It just came yeah. <laughs> out
0: to like... I know. I mean, I feel like book readers really have to defend Astrid because it just doesn't come across at all. And another thing that I thought was surprising that they cut from the movie, I mean, I kind of understand why they did it, but it's such an important thread throughout the, the entire series, especially with Astrid, is because they're so uber rich, they have this intense need for secrecy. And they mm-hmm. the worst thing could be that any of them are in the papers or tabloids yeah. or anything because they're, they're like celebrities. So they have to maintain this privacy and secrecy. And this is a really big conflict that comes up later. So yeah. I, I thought that was kind of strange. You know, in the movie... Aquafina's character, she knows of the young family, but in the book it takes, she's like, no one's ever heard of them, you
1: know? Yeah. 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 And I do think that was important for, I mean, I guess we're sort of just making all of our complaints up front here. (laughs) Her family seemed a little more cartoonish in this version. Mm -hmm. And part of it is because in the book that their outlandishness is tempered by their extremely deep, real estate knowledge that becomes very important <laughs> for Rachel. That's right. And so, obviously, they're, they're a support system for her here, but they had, like, such a, a key plot function that was a little bit stripped from them. Um, yeah, I don't yeah, think they mentioned they, it
0: at all, that they do development and they know real estate. I I actually don't think it was mentioned at all in the movie. I
1: don't think, I mean, I don't think they said the words "Tiresall Park out loud in the movie, did they? Like, they just, like, just that whole element was not a part of it. Huh. In order for it to become this very, like, it was a rom-com. And I'm, like, one of the reasons I like the book so much is partly because, like, all of that drama was, like, season one Down nabby all over again. Like, what's going to happen <laughs> yes. to the house? You know? Yeah,
0: Yeah, the house is its own character.
1: Yeah, so I did kind of miss that too, and that's why, like, even though I know why they wanted to do it as a big screen movie, I mean, they turned down Netflix, they wanted this to be on the screens, to, to show this Asian ensemble in a Summer Temple film that people will be going to the theater to see, there is, like, a part of me that's like, this would have been such a good six-part mini series where everyone oh had their own God, episode. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it would have been really awesome.
2: As soon as I read that in your notes, Brandy, I, I just thought, oh, my God, yes. And the <laughs> turn back time. How do we turn back time and make it into a miniseries? Just because do it again. It is,
1: like, just pretend that it's like Sherlock Holmes or whatever white people make a thousand times and just do it again.
0: Yeah.
2: Right. Actually, actually that's a great <laughs> idea. I mean, it is so Downton Abbey-ish in its questions of succession and property and propriety and privacy and... The way mm-hmm. one must behave and the way, you know, one person is not approved of. And, you know, all of this stuff, it really does mirror that kind of super rich class system. Um, and, yeah, we're, we're losing some of it. I'm glad that um, Nick's mother did get to talk about how she wasn't, like, really approved of. Right, Yeah because she was from the wrong family although in the book she's a little more mm, tacky <laughs> I, I want to say
1: certainly they her friends and her friend group are
2: <laughs> yeah
1: this, yeah
2: yeah they're, they're kind of tacky but Michelle yo just is such a class act. I, she's I think pretty, she, she's she, probably
1: like the classiest lady alive, so. yeah. <laughs> right? I,
2: I, I believe that when she took the role, she said that she didn't want to make her into a cartoon and she wanted to give her depth and she didn't you know, want to so. make her
1: into a tiger mom. Wanted that, yeah, yeah. Wanted her arguments to make sense. Like, that was one of the things I like the most about the sort of climactic conversation between Eleanor and Rachel. Is that even though, like, I'm rooting for Rachel what Eleanor says about Americans and how all we think about is like our own uh passion it's totally true (laughs) you know she makes some good points
0: totally but uh, you know Nick's Nick's dad must have died you know on the script he didn't
1: make it (laughs) to the screen when I heard John Chu talking about it he said like they had him in the script and they kept having to like figure out how to make him like not in the scene because it was like too boring every time people started talking about the business and so finally they were like can we just say he's away on business the whole time and they just wrote out like everything that had to do with the young family business because just nobody cared whenever they got to those scenes
2: right suffice it to say that Astrodome's 14 apartment buildings in Singapore
1: yeah, I mean, I don't really care though, right? Although it does become really interesting in the books—not to keep going back to it—when <laughs> they start talking about the flashbacks of how the family built their wealth and yep. the, like mm-hmm. illegal opium money and everything else, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, there's a there's just so much that happens down the road where I'm a little worried about the foundation that they built in this first movie, but I'm tr- I'm yeah. choosing trust. I know. It's kind of like the Harry Potter
0: movies. It's like, you know, if you didn't read the books, you're just missing a whole undercurrent of story Mm -hmm. and I think with this one, doing it in the movies instead of the miniseries, you just can't get you know, it's not like Game of Thrones where you can follow Bran and Jamie yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're just not going to get... I mean, even Radio 1 Asia we see for like a second. And that's... Oh like my god, movie. and
1: she's so funny. Like, such, there's just a lot of runners through the books that are so funny that you just can't have in one movie. But let's talk about how fantastic Constance Wu is. Oh my gosh. She was perfect. And she... She needs to be so
0: charming and so relatable with all the characters of these really intense characters. So I thought she just nailed it. I
1: actually thought she brought more depth to Rachel than there is in the book. Like my main complaint about the books is I think Rachel's a bit flat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I did not have that problem in the movie.
2: I think what she did really, really well was differentiate herself as an American born Chinese person. Yeah. Mm -hmm from the Singaporeans. Like you could really see in, in how she was dressed, in her body language, in her just expressiveness, all of it, she really did feel different. You know, they kept saying, oh, she's different, she's different, she's not one of us. And I think that Constance Wu really transmitted that mm-hmm. um, perfectly. Not that she's somehow diminished by it or not as good as anyone else. She is though different. And I, I have heard other Asians talking about this thing where they go visit their families in Asia and they really do feel like they're not of that culture. Mm-hmm. You know, that being being American born and raised really differentiates them. And they think they're going to fit in and it's going to be like, you know, great, but not, it isn't.
1: No, I think, I think it's really true. Like one of my closest friends growing up um, is born in the United States, but her parents are from Taiwan. And she would talk about how she would go back to Taiwan and she would be, like, so excited to, like, you know, be immersed in that culture, speak the language, everything. And then she would do something that would just remind her that she's not one of them really, like, <laughs> walk outside in her flip-flops that are supposed to be just house shoes or something, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, the tiniest little details where she would just be like, oh, yeah, I'm super American. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, that, they did a good job with that dynamic, which is obviously really important because you want to understand,
1: yeah. Part of it is class as well. Like, I think they juxtapose those things well. Uh, I mean, Rachel's this very educated person, but not in a way that's going to gain her any respect from them, if anything, the opposite, because now they're like, what about your career? Are you going to give it up to be, to bear children?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. I did like that they kept, uh, how they kept trying to guess where her family was from and what they were making <laughs> ah. their money in, because that's really funny how, and that's really important, actually, for the second book, um, and yep. so I, th- I was really happy they kept that, and, uh, there's uh, just so many of the side characters really shown, I mean, Oliver was perfectly cast.
1: Perfect. Mm-hmm.
0: Bernard, yeah. perfectly cast.
1: Oh, <laughs> Bernard. <laughs> Jimmy O. Yang, oh my god. He's. So good. I don't know how I did not know that he was the one cast for the role but like when he came on screen I just died. I mean it's so funny.
2: Apparently there's this story about him asking his agent if he can try out for Nick and Colin (laughs) and like seriously like asking for those auditions and his agent is like no no listen (laughs) listen. (laughs) Oh honey. (laughs) You need to try out for Bernard.
1: Nobody is there for no reason. Everybody has something to do. Except for maybe Colin and Omnita.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they just never come back. They're done.
1: They'll never be back.
0: But but they're pretty crucial
2: for the first film. I think this was really well done, that when they meet them at the airport, she's in her flip-flops and pajama bottoms and glasses. And then she shows up at her shower in all gold lame suit. uh, Which... Again, there's a lot more behind that. But but then when she sees um, Rachel, she's like, oh, I love your Gap clothes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you oh. can't quite figure out whether she's, like, doing a dig or whether she's genuinely just really liking the Gap outfit.
1: <laughs> I think Armita is, like, just oblivious. Like, I think she's, like the quintessential rich girl who just has no clue what it really is to be privileged. Mm -hmm. And I, I think she's in, she's an interesting character in the books as a contrast to Astrid a little bit. And I don't think you really get that here, but I did, um, quite like the actress. I did not like the wedding gown. (laughs) 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 Uh, Yeah
2: both times when I saw the movie when she like shows up and dips her toe in the water as she's walking you know through the river um (laughs) the whole audience has completely lost it in both screaming
1: like the water starting to fill the (laughs) aisle was so cool and then there's something about that step that she takes that's just like so ridiculous oh my (laughs) god her like giant foot like filling the screen (laughs) That scene's really also more about Nick and Rachel, so <laughs> Yes.
2: I was a little weepy actually when they were making eye contact through the wedding ceremony. Like I, I I felt something in my cold, cold heart for for them and their love. I I think they they sell it, you know, they sell their relationship to me. I I bought
1: it. I bought the thing. I bought it. They were both you very know? good at gazing at each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. even though his character didn't have a ton of depth, um, I think he's better in the books as well, um, they had a few little fun moments that were so great, like, where they're just hanging out together in their hotel room and they're, like, being very comfortable together. I loved her, like, checking him out when he got out of bed and stuff. hmm um, mm mm-hmm. And I love that when she got back from the horrible, no good, very bad bachelorette party that she immediately told him about it. It wasn't like some weird secret that she kept, Mm -hmm. you know. I mean, he could have been a little more concerned about the fact they put a fucking dead fish in the bed. Yeah, (laughs) right. But overall, I think like you got a sense that they did know each other, which is fun because I feel like, Most rom-coms, the characters are just getting to know each other. So I really liked that element where you get the rom-com structure, but they are already so comfy with each other. And they like really like you can be invested in their relationship from the jump.
2: Yeah. And also it makes the decision that Rachel has to make more poignant because obviously they're a great couple. There's no question that he doesn't love her or she doesn't love him or, you know, some melodrama. It's really Mm -hmm. just about his family and making a choice. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, and and you can really sort of focus all the energy on that, you know, in that final conversation with the mother.
1: Yes. And then the ring that she finally gives her, that is Michelle Yeoh's own ring that she bought for herself in real life. Right. (laughs) Really? Yes. She saw the prop, like, costume jewelry ring that they had on the movie and she refused to wear it and was like I have just the thing and it was a ring that she had purchased for herself which I'm just like I, I love it I'm not like I'm full Wayne and Garth I'm not worthy at her right now like <laughs> she's a queen. so awesome like would this someday I can buy myself a piece of amazing emerald jewelry just because I deserve it <laughs>
0: right yeah
1: that's amazing
2: um, I think this is a good segue, actually, into talking about how hot Nick is. Um,
1: <laughs> just a little bit. Oh, my God. I mean, I think he was very charming in this role, Henry Golding. I think he's not m- maybe a super great actor yet. This is literally the first role he's ever done. He was a travel right. presenter right. on shows that would be shown on, like, airplanes. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> He has been plucked from hot obscurity for this role. Amazing.
0: Well, his abs look like they've been acting for years. (laughs) (laughs) And that's... Honestly, Nick's supposed to be really hot. I mean, they're... They really like to get down with each other. That's a lot in the book. So, yeah, uh-huh. um, you know, and I, you know, all the people in this world are beautiful. So I did really appreciate all the beautiful men. So, this is, this is something that I,
2: I have been sort of my pet peeve on the coverage of this film, which is these constant uh, pieces on, oh, look how hot these Asian men are. Like, you never see such hot Asian men in films. And I'm screaming at my radio, except in every Asian film.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think it's totally fair to say that Hollywood has kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. put them over to the side, made them the, like, long duck dongs of the world, you know? Mm -hmm. But there is a multi-billion dollar people mar- market that has a whole <laughs> lot of sex symbols <laughs> and I don't know if you watched any Korean dramas on Netflix lately but those boys can purse their lips at anyone just like American stars can.
2: <laughs> My entire history of John Woo films with like Chow Yun-fat and Tony Leung and yeah every single film they I just mean,
1: awesome. I, I know it's like an art house film but like Probably top five sexiest movies of all time is In the Mood for Love with Tony Long. Just yeah. smoldering in his suits with his cigarette smoke all over the place. So, I mean, we are long past time for that hotness to make the jump to a Hollywood pole movie. Long past time. <laughs> and just speaking on a personal note, I've been lusting after John Cho since, you know, half my life now. So... yeah, R.I.P. Selfie. I'll say yeah. it again.
0: <laughs> that scene where they kiss was one of the hottest scenes ever.
1: Oh, my God. I mean, and he's like a full Paul Rudd where he's just getting hotter the older he gets. I know. It's
0: unnatural. How does he keep getting better looking? He just
1: had a photo spread in GQ for searching, which I still haven't seen but really want to see. And I was just like, are you fucking kidding me? Dude is pushing 50. And I would, like, leave my life for him. (laughs) Like, come on. Yeah, so I guess we're here to say we we have already been on the bandwagon of of lusting after Asian men. I will I'll lust after anybody. So <laughs> no problem. No problem whatsoever. <laughs> this movie's making so much money. Like that's something else we should say. They're going to hit probably 200 million domestic, which is absolutely unheard of for a rom-com in the last 10 years. And that's not even counting International Box Office. And that's off of a $40 million budget or something like that. I mean, that is fantastic. They're definitely going to have more money for the sequel.
0: Well, we've got two more movies coming. And I know we wanted to talk about some of our favorite ensemble movies from the past.
1: We've touched on so many things that we love about these kinds of stories, like building this world with all of these relationships in it the intense sense of place I think those are things we've really loved about Downton Abbey and we just wanted to call out a few of our favorites through time to celebrate that I just want to be clear we're not being comprehensive here so you can send in your favorites (laughs) but you don't have to be like you forgot such and such we're just calling out a few favorites right And the first one I wanted to say is actually, like, I really focus on family movies. And ones where there is this, like, very uh, particular sense of place. And so I just want to give a shout out to the Addams Family. Oh! (laughs) (laughs) Unexpected! Unexpected. No, I adore the Addams Family movies from the 90s with Angelica Houston and Raul Julia, R.I.P., um, I watched the first one again last Halloween and I was like, this shit holds up so well. <laughs> and I just, I just love them. I love the relationship between <laughs> Gomez and Marticia. I love how everybody is so comfortable with each other in their peculiarities, like just like what we were saying about this movie. And. I love that you can pull a secret book in the library and go on an adventure. <laughs> I mean, what more could you ask for? That's awesome. I'll have to definitely, I, it's been a long time since I've watched those. They're so good.
0: Um, I'll go next because I fear that maybe Therese might have the same one I have. Um, okay. And really, when I think about my all-time favorite ensemble comedy, it's best in show. <laughs> oh, I knew
1: you were gonna have a Christopher Guest movie. Crossing line. this off I my knew,
2: list very quickly.
0: For sure. Yeah, I thought you might and really it's all Christopher Guest movies and waiting for Guffman is a really close second for me. But I think that Christopher Guest just totally nails the idea of an ensemble. Like all these different characters are brought together for one thing in one place. And, I mean, Best in Show is absolutely perfect. Like, you get so excited about your individual characters, but when they come together for the actual show, it's just absolutely perfect. And it's, well, all of his movies are super quotable, but I think Best in Show is probably the most quotable. So, that's my first choice.
2: Yep, that, that was definitely on my list. I, I knew it! <laughs> I, movie. I adore that movie. I do, too. Um, and, like, all the crazy is also all the sweet. Like, it's the same thing. Like, you can't Mm -hmm. really separate the crazy animal parents with the sweet animal parents. It's the same thing. Totally. Um, Okay, so my first big ensemble movie, I I love, Brandy, that you were talking about A Sense of Place, because Mm -hmm. uh, the first movie I want to talk about is Mira Nair's 2001 epic Monsoon Wedding. Mm. which is one of my favorite films. And um, it's come up before on another, you know, top five list of some sort. <laughs> but I really love that film. And I honestly, to this day, I can't quite figure out which auntie is married to which uncle and where they're from and <laughs> what the hell is going on. But it doesn't really matter. It is just this incredibly complex, warm um, story of a family getting ready for an arranged marriage and all the drama and comedy and love and intrigue that goes along with it. And it all happens in India and, uh, uh, it's just a, it's just a a wonderful film and it's every single actor makes me believe that they're all actually related to each other. I love that. It's great. Yeah.
1: I've actually never seen that movie. So, been a long time bump that on my list get over there and in fact the
2: the 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 wedding thing at the end happens in a
1: monsoon
2: like it's raining like crazy and apparently they had shot it with like you know rain machines basically because that was what was in their budget and they weren't Mm -hmm. very good like bad rain and and bringing the film back to new york the (laughs) x-ray destroyed that footage and because they were insured they got a ton of money because it had been destroyed <laughs> and they took all that money went back to india and shot a proper monsoon wedding scene and uh
1: it is glorious. Ugh. Shout out to Mira Nair who's like one of the best working directors. I just ha- have you guys seen Queen of Katwe from a couple yeah. of years ago like so it's good. just adorable. Like she has a bunch of movies I really like. I won't get into it, but I just she's fab. Um, and I can't believe I've never seen that one. Like I, it's just one. It's one of my movies of shame that I've never <laughs> seen. But. So my second pick. I'm gonna jump back almost eighty years for my first. Oh pick. My goodness! <laughs> and I'm gonna pick from 1933, Dinner at Eight, which is like pre-code Hollywood comedy, and the reason I thought of this one was because it's one of those ones where it's like, at the opening, there's like, photos of all the stars who were in it, like it's really like, bringing together all the stars, you know, they got not one, but two Barry Moores, they got Marie Dressler, they got Gene Harlow, they got Wallace Beery, like, all these people, Billy Burke, I mean, and I fucking love this movie and it one of the reasons I love it is like no no movie really does the insane bounce back between like sobbing and laughing like these old Hollywood melodramas where like in one scene you're talking about a character having killed himself and in the next one it's like two women being catty over a guy together like but it all works And it's all in like one day based around this one dinner that's going to happen. And I'm such a sucker for those kind of timelines (laughs) where everyone's just freaking out about the same event. Some of the characters are family members. Some of them are business associates. Some of them are secret lovers. Um, And the other thing is that like no movies get to like showcase the kind of costumes like this anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So thinking about the designers that you get to see in a Crazy Rich Asians or something like that nowadays, like the equivalent in these 1930s movies, oh my god, just chef's kiss all over the place, the gowns, the gowns, the gowns, the gowns. (laughs)
0: Making a note.
1: Yes, I love this movie so much. Well, it's
0: black and white, so I'll probably never see it.
1: (laughs) You probably wouldn't. You probably wouldn't love it. You'd probably be like, "I don't get you. Why are we friends again?" (laughs) I would be asleep.
0: But shout out to to old movies. I'm going all the way back to 1999, and I mean really far. And this one definitely has a sense of place. And this movie is actually almost impossible to find on DVD. You cannot even buy it. And that is Drop Dead Gorgeous.
1: That movie is really hard to
0: find. It's so weird. No, you actually cannot buy it. And even Ellie went and bought, found a DVD. I don't know, some bootleg copy. And it almost ruined our DVD player. Because who knows? (laughs) I mean, it's, it's strange. There's some, I don't know, there's some lawsuit or something that's happening with it because you cannot find it, but it is one of the best films of the 90s. It is hilarious. It is a classic ensemble where you're following each of these individual characters, but they're coming together for this really shitty pageant in small town (laughs) Minnesota and uh you know it launched so many stars careers and it is just it's a hoot it I laugh every time it was one of my favorite movies in high school dropped it gorgeous forever
2: well I am gonna take you all back to 1983 Woo! a movie that I saw four times in the theater in the space of about a month
1: it's not the big chill is it
2: Yes, it, it <laughs> is. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. The big chill. And you know what? I have not seen this movie in ten years, maybe more. I have no idea how I it like holds today. Chill. I the big chill. I do. Oh, my God. I, I love this movie so much. It, it defined my aspirations of yuppiedom. <laughs> as a young adult trying to figure out what I wanted to do and I, I i i don't know what to say about this movie it's just such a touchstone for me and the cast is amazing
1: the cast is amazing
2: it it's just incredible cast it's so funny um mary Kay plays I don't even know what to say about her she's so wonderful but you know Glenn Close Kevin Kline William Hurt Jeff Goldblum I don't even know who I'm missing here and this like completely killer soundtrack that I think changed the face of sound movie soundtracks it
1: did It forever Forever. yeah
2: (laughs) and any gathering of my friends ended up with us loading the dishwasher to Ain't Too Proud to Beg
1: Oh so. <laughs> reenacting. Love a but, good real life reenactment.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh you know, it's just one of those one of those ensemble films that I think is a real classic and um uh, if I watched it tomorrow, I hope that I would still think it was true. I
1: really, it's been a few years since I've seen it, but I've seen it several times and I r- really like it. I actually thought about it for this, but then I decided to focus more on like family things rather than group of friends. So I'm glad you threw that in there for your criteria. <laughs> yes. Very nice. Um. So I'm, you can just hit your snooze button, Shannon, cause I'm gonna stay in the <laughs> black and white for my oh, last here. <laughs> Um, but get a little more somber, although I think this is a movie that's, like, both joyous and somber, and I think it's one of the best movies ever made, and that's not a controversial statement. Most film people think it's one of the best movies ever made, and that is The Best Years of Our Lives from 1946, which, like... Kind of changed my whole perspective on storytelling when I first saw it. Like this movie is so incredible. And the cast, because we're talking about that, it's like Myrna Loy, Frederick March, Dana Andrews, Teresa Wright, Virginia Mayo. Like I I can't even believe that they're able to bring together that kind of cast in that in these years and then tell such a beautiful story and multiple threads of beautiful stories, which I think is what I ultimately want from an ensemble film is like, you start out with these three soldiers who don't know each other coming home from the war, and then they all happen to be going to the same town. And as the movie progresses, you follow each of their storylines and how they end up intersecting, how their families deal with them coming home how they deal with the very severe injuries one of the men had, which, you know, he, the actor, Harold Russell, in real life really did lose both of his hands in the war and they let him play this role. And it's just like, I can't even describe the emotions that I feel watching this (laughs) film. (laughs) And it's just like, if anybody like hasn't watched it, and I'm not directing this to you, Shannon, but if you haven't watched it because you think you don't like movies from the 40s, if you like having feelings, you should watch this movie. All right. I might give it a try. That's all I have to say about it.
2: <laughs> if you like having feelings,
0: Shannon. I mean, that was definitely a dig at me. I have a lot of feelings. You watched the Olympics know. with me. You know I do.
1: <laughs> I, I have heard that you might enjoy a feeling or two at times. Oh, yeah. Too many at times. Um, okay. Well, I'll, I'll maybe see it.
0: Um, I also have a movie (laughs) from the past, really far back, 1995. Um, (laughs) Because I really stuck with teen movies and comedies because those are my favorite ensembles. Uh, An iconic film that definitely has the high fashion, the life you lust after that you wish you had, and a great group of friends, and that is Clueless. Yep, (laughs) my favorite (laughs) movie. But honestly, when I really thought about Like it is Cher's story, but I remember when that movie came out and everybody talked about the side characters almost as much and like, Mm -hmm. oh, you're more like that character and you're more like this character or, you know, I don't know. It's just the side characters really shine. And I think it is an ensemble, like that whole group hangs out together a lot in the film. Um, And it's my favorite movie. So of course, if I can throw it in the list, I will.
1: Jurassic Park was your favorite movie. Okay, let's get some continuity. Well,
0: I've actually <laughs> thought about it, Brandy, and I think they're tied. I think it's Jurassic Park. I mean, and Clueless right. are My two favorite movies. All right, but good memory, Fair. thank you. Friend Fair. points. Friend points for Brandy for remembering <laughs> Jurassic Park, <laughs> which I guess could be an ensemble of the dinosaurs to characters too. <laughs>
1: um, Clueless is perfect. I once like wrote a whole article about how Clueless is a perfect film. Like I, it's. Incredible, it really kind of meant something to me to see teenage female characters taken so seriously Mm -hmm. while still being able to take the things that they're concerned about seriously as well. Yeah, I think that was really important at the time Uh, because I was what we were twelve when that movie came out, and I mean, you always want to identify with characters who are slightly older than you at that age, of course. So, I'm like, oh, someday I'll be 15 turning 16. (laughs) Yeah.
2: That's a a perfect film. It is a perfect film. Um, So, I had a really hard time picking from my various options for my third film. But I think I'm going to go with my favorite film of all time. It is from 1950. It is an ensemble film. Made up of the perfect ensemble. Can I guess again? I'm having a lot Yuck. of fun with the do guessing. It, do it, do it's it. It's not all
1: about Eve, is it? Yes, it is <laughs> all yes! about Eve. Fuck yes.
2: yes. <laughs> Betty Davis, Ann Baxter, George Saunders, my favorite, Celeste Holm, Gary Merrill, and even Thelma Ritter and Marilyn Monroe, and oh my god, I don't Ugh. even know who else.
1: I don't um, know how I didn't think of this one, but this is the top five movie for me.
2: Yeah. It's, it's really... Shannon. I'm listening this is this is actually my favorite film of all time
0: oh my god well i okay. didn't watch the good wife so i better watch this <laughs> we'll never be friends
2: <laughs> and you know what even though the, the plot centers around betty davis and and baxter um margo and eve harrington they're, the supporting players are so strong and so beautifully written and so beautifully performed. Every single performance is a gem and the film would be out of balance without any of them there to uh, be part of the, the plot. So um, it's just uh, just deli- a delightful film with a million great lines
1: and Betty Davis as Margot Channing,
2: I mean, one of the great women of film of all time.
1: That's such a great little side point that you just made, though, Teresa, is that, like, the beauty of an ensemble film is that you really do feel like you would lose out if any one of these Mm -hmm. characters wasn't there. You know, even Mm -hmm. though Crazy Rich Asians is about Rachel and Nick, like, we're, like, so invested in the side characters mm-hmm. and I think that's the same thing for all of the movies we just cited is like you could point to the A storyline but the, the world that's built through the side characters and how much you care about all of them like that like they all leave you wanting more that's the beauty of an ensemble movie just rapid fire a few other ones I was thinking of. Uh, I do want to shout out While You Were Sleeping Yeah. and say that um, when we saw John Chu talk about the movie, uh, he talked about how the dumpling scene was inspired by the gift giving scene in While You Were Sleeping, which I was like, vindication, because I've been trying to say <laughs> this is like one of the best screenplays of all time for forever and everyone thinks I'm crazy. No, it's While amazing. You Sleeping. <laughs> no, While You you're Sleeping is one of the best rom-coms ever created. It's one of those movies. Like, it's just good. Yeah. Those Um, dinner
0: scenes are the best.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Another old one, The Philadelphia Story. Another Mm -hmm. family one, The Brothers in Big Night and all their friends. Mm -hmm. They were together for a dinner. Um, One with some Asian people, Ang Lee's The Wedding Banquet.
2: Ah, one of my favorites. Oh, my God.
1: Incredible film. And then, you know what? I wanted to give a shout out to Titanic. Because there's a lot of fucking actors in that one, and I think I think I'm feeling warm towards that movie lately.
2: I saw that on a movie poster. A lot of fucking actors in that
0: one. Brandy <laughs> Sperry,
1: amazing.
0: Well, I'm gonna say a really basic one that I really love, and I think it really pulls it off. Is Love Actually? I think that's an amazing ensemble movie. Oh so,
1: no. Yeah. All right. I'm plead the fifth on that one. Okay. Yeah,
0: me too. <laughs> um some other ones that you know besides the obvious is i mean there's a lot of great ones like bridesmaids main girls oceans 11 stuff like that but then some other ones that i thought of like empire records that was an amazing
1: ensemble back in the day also now and then oh now and then is fantastic
0: yeah uh royal tenenbaums which i haven't thought about in a long time and i was like oh yeah that was an amazing ensemble (laughs) Mm -hmm. so those were just a few
2: Okay, well, I've got a few that that weren't on my list that I'll just rattle off. Um, the first one is uh, an oldie um, stage door from
1: 1937.
2: Oh, um, yeah. uh <laughs> incredible collection of actresses, including Katherine Hepburn and Ginger Rogers and Lucille Ball and... Eve Arden and it and is Miller. so
1: weird for me to think about all of them being in the same room together. Yeah, <laughs>
2: they're all in the same movie, and some of them really at the beginning of their careers. It's a 1937 film. Yeah, all, all almost all female cast, if not all female cast. Um, speaking of female cast, Steel Magnolias from 1989. God, I just watched that yesterday. You did? That's a guilty <laughs> pleasure of mine. Um, I can't stop saying my wedding colors are blush and bashful.
1: <laughs> I just,
2: I don't know. And last but not least, getting a little more testosterone into the room, dazed and confused. Richard Linklater's mm. nineteen ninety three film, killer yep. soundtrack, and uh, a whole bunch of really great, again, kind of up and coming actors. It's that's the last time I actually enjoyed Matthew McConaughey in a film, <laughs> but. I really did enjoy him in that
1: film. I think maybe we even mentioned this on the podcast before that I need to re-watch that film because so many people love it and I just like reflexively want to make a jerk-off motion when someone (laughs) mentions it. Like I can't. I remember hating it so much in college but maybe I'll have some more nuance if I revisit it. Give Maybe. it another chance. And I think in, in the vein of that,
0: Amy Heckerling's other masterpiece, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, I mean, the uh, fact yeah. that she made yeah. two of the most iconic teen
1: movies for two
0: different decades is incredible.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm going to make a plug and say people should give vamps a chance, too. Or, <laughs> like, vampire comedy that she made. I can't remember if I saw I, it. You know what? I'm a fan. So. I,
0: adding it to my list. All right, well, I think that's a pretty long list of movies that we gave to all of our listeners to, to watch. <laughs> Please tweet at us or send us a message on Facebook about some of your favorite ensemble movies. We'd love to hear from you. Um, but, of course, if it's in the black and white era, I'm not interested, but everyone else is interested. Um, but we will be back next month with some other new exciting topic that we haven't thought of yet. Until then. <laughs> <laughs> Bye.